Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest episode of the Cortellinius podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Zach Lowy, here today uh, with a very special guest. And uh, once again, bringing you the hub of all things uh, Portuguese football in the English language. Past few weeks, we've had a few different uh, interesting fans of, of certain clubs. I've spoken with like of João Nuno Sousa, Fmali fan, José Pedro Paix, um, Tiago Pereira, uh, Portimonense and Boa Vista. So a lot of different clubs. Today, we're going to be speaking to a fan of the league leaders in Portugal, currently six points clear atop uh, Liga Nush. So very excited to be uh, speaking once again with my good friend, Adriano Fernandez, or FC Porto Central on Twitter, who joins us from Toronto, Canada. How are you doing today, Adriano? I'm doing great. Four to six points up now, so I couldn't be feeling better. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. A um, lot of interesting action that happened this weekend. Starting off on Friday, we saw Benfica um, taking on Aruca and, and winning 2-0 thanks to a penalty from Darwin Nunes, as well as a goal uh, in injury time from Gonzalo Ramos. Uh, some late drama in the following match, Paso Supeira taking on Boavista, Vitorino Antunes putting up uh, the Beavers right before halftime from the penalty spot. Uh, Kenji Gore, however, equalizing for Boavista in the 85th minute. Saturday's matches, we saw Morrench taking on Santa Clara, and Santa Clara getting a big win uh, in Morera de Conegos, 2-0 victory over Ricardo Sapinto's side. Uh, some other late action, we saw Vizela taking on Tondela. Um, Tondela taking the lead early on uh, via Salvador Agra. Vizela quickly equalizing from Cassiano. Uh, T- Tondela reclaiming the lead from the penalty spot via penalty from Joao Pedro. But uh, Vizela pulling in with a crucial victory with uh, two goals in the final uh, 20 minutes from Cassiano and Rafael Guso. Very big, uh, very big victory from Vizela. And, and that puts them in a very good position. It actually leaps fro- leapfrogs them in the table. They were behind Tondela previously. Now they're two points, behind, two points ahead of uh, Tondela in 13th place, so very big win for them. Um, Sunday's action, on the other hand, we saw um, a lot of drama as well. Maritimo taking on uh, Belenin's side. Once again, as we saw just as last weekend against Porto, taking the lead uh, early on from a penalty from Alison Safira. Um, Maritimo equalizing uh, from Mateus Costa. Both teams going down to 10 men at a point and uh, sharing the spoils in a 1-1 draw. Decent point for Belenenstad, I would say. Uh, Vitoria de Guimaraes as well, taking on Estoril. Estoril taking the lead uh, in Guimaraes from one of the uh, real revelations of this season, Andre Franco. Vitoria, however, erasing Estoril's lead, getting a crucial win at home. Uh, a 3-1 victory thanks to a brace from Oscar Estupinian. So currently, the way the table looks, we've got uh, Vitoria two points ahead of Estoril, who do have a game in hand, it should be mentioned. Uh, before we move on to, uh, to, to other stuff, I want to talk a little bit about these two teams, if you don't mind. Um, a lot of talent, a lot of talent on both sides. We've seen the likes of Marcus Edwards, uh, Chiquinho now at Wolves, uh, Andre Franco, Romario Barro. Uh, you know, with regards to those two players, though, Andre Franco, one of the two uh, real revelations, one, one of the biggest revelations, as I've mentioned, of this, uh, of this league season so far. And Romario Barro, a player who's been highly regarded in Porto's youth system for quite some time, uh, played a role in uh in Porto's UEFA Youth League triumph back in 2019 hasn't really had the career that that has been expected of him you know been kind of marred by injuries i would say but uh 21 years of age and had an interesting had an interesting performance against Suitoria one key pass 11 out of 16 passes completing two out of two long balls uh completed 
seven out of 14 ground duels won and three out of four successful dribbles completed. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on Romario Baro? Do you think there's potentially um, a spot for him in Porto down the line? And, and what have you made of his progress uh, in Kaishkaish this season? Yeah, I think uh, Romario Baro is a great player. I think he definitely has a quality, but uh, he's been haunted by injuries, unfortunately. He's, he's been injured a lot and he hasn't gotten that many minutes this year in the studio. <laughs> Uh, I definitely don't think he has a spot on the current team. But with Sergio Oliveira possibly leaving on a permanent to Roma at the end of the season, I could see him maybe putting up a fight for a starting spot next season. Also, depending on if Vitinha stays or not, of course. Absolutely. And and going back to the goal scorer, Andre Franco, obviously a loss for Storiel, but uh, Franco really been a massive performer this season for Storiel. Um, and I think that, you know, after Chiquinho, who moved to Wolves, after uh, Miguel Crespo, who, who played a massive role in their promotion and ended up joining Fenerbahce, I do think that Franco could be the next one to get a big move from Estoril. Talk to me a little bit about Andre Franco. Yeah, he's definitely a great player. Um, one, of the, one of the best in Portugal right now out of the big four. Uh, he's been great this season. He reminds me a lot of... Uh, Ivan uh, Jaime from Family Kong, who I'm also mm. a big fan of. It's definitely a joy to watch him play. Yishudil have also been great this season, coming out from the second division. They've definitely been putting up a fight against big, big teams. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and uh, last week I actually did pose the challenge of making a lineup of the best lineup of the Primera season with one player per team. I went with Andre Ferreira in goal. Claudio Wink, Sebastian Coatz, Jackson Porozo and Fali Kande in defense, Andre Franco and Pedrinho in midfield, with an attack of Rafa Silva, Ricardo Horta, Luis Diaz, and uh, Simon Banza. Curious to hear what yours would be. Uh, but he, he's clearly a very big talent, and, and I do think that he, he is ready for a big move soon. Uh, we, we also saw a matchup. Uh, not just between Storiel and Gilbis, uh, and Vitoria, who are both challenging uh, for that final European spot after the after the big three in Braga, but another matchup between uh, Gil Vicente and Portimonense. I uh, don't know if you got the chance to watch this. I, I did, and it was a very intriguing matchup. Portimonense going down to 10 men in the 24th minute from uh, an expulsion from Lucas Fernandez, who picked up two yellow cards in the space of half an hour uh, at Barcelos. Portimonens, it should be noted, are a great team when it comes to, you know, sitting with their backs to goal and getting a result. You know, they did that with, uh, they did that against Benfica, pretty much parking the bus and, and coming out with a victory at the Estadio de Luz. Uh, they did that against Famalicao. I believe they played with, uh, 10 men for about an hour and still prevailed on penalties in, in the Tassa. Um, they almost did that against Gil Vicente, who have been, you know, one of the hottest teams in Portugal. But Gil Vicente uh, picking up the win thanks to a late goal from Pedrinho. Uh, in total, we saw uh, 28 shots from Gil Vicente compared to Portimão Inches 3, 72% possession compared to 14 inches 28 six shots on target compared to 14 inches one i suppose it shouldn't be too much of a surprise given 14 inches given their expulsion but also their poor run of form you know we talked about this on the last week's episode with Thiago Coimbra talking a lot about 14 inches struggles at the start of the year Jill Vicente on the other hand you know they uh, really look like they are clicking on all cylinders that's a very important win that Ricardo Suarez side have picked up. Um, and, and they, it looks like they are going to be uh, challenging for that final European spot. So recently, you know, we've seen them take on Boa Vista, um, share the spoils in a draw, taking on another uh, rival for that final European spot, Vitoria de Guimaraes and win uh, three to two, beating Tondela three, nothing, uh, losing to Sporting and, and beating Faso Cepeda and Fomalikau. Overall, really impressive run of form over the past two months. Uh, what do you make of this Jill Vicente side? Yeah, this side's definitely interesting. It was uh, They were fighting at the top for quite a while at the beginning of the season as well. Uh, I, I really like watching them play. Unfortunately, I didn't watch uh, this week's match. 
But uh, yeah, Portimonense is also a very good side. And uh, I really like uh, Fali Conde. He's been linked to Porto recently. I really, I wouldn't mind him at Porto, to be honest. I think he, he definitely has a better uh, better cross of the ball compared to the fullbacks we currently have. Yeah, absolutely. I We, we mentioned Fali Conde on the previous show. I really like him. I think he's been linked to Mets in Ligue 1. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I do think that he could be an upgrade at the left-back spot for Porto. We are going to talk about Porto's match, but we, I want to I want to move on to the uh, to definitely the the star of the show, shall we say, the the biggest match of the weekend: Sporting taking on Braga um, at the Estadio Jose Alvalade. So a uh, very big match for Sporting at home. Uh, didn't see too much in the way of key absences from sporting side. Uh, Pedro Porro is still injured, but Jovan Cabral making his return coming off the bench. And uh, apart from that, apart from Porro, no major absences uh, from, from sporting standpoint. Sporting taking on Braga and uh, should be noted, this is a special, a very special game, not just because, you know, two teams that regularly finish in the top four every year, but special game from an emotional standpoint uh, for a lot of these sporting players. Ricardo Escayo, who started at right wing back for sporting, uh, came over from Braga in the summer, obviously began his career, began his development in Sporting's Academy, but joined Braga in 2017, uh, made a total of 117 appearances for them over the span of four years before joining Sporting in the summer. We saw Obviously, Ruben Amorim, who has done phenomenal things with this sporting team. Uh, he, of course, got his start as a manager at Braga. Just lasted a few months there um, before, before being bought out for, for a record amount of money by, by sporting. Uh, apart from Amorim and Eshkaya, we saw another key part of, of Amorim's Braga side, um, Joao Paulinha who since, you know, returning from loan at, at Braga has, has obviously been the midfield linchpin of this sporting side. Paulinha uh, picking up half century of appearances for Braga. Um, apart from Paulinha, uh, we also saw Paulinho starting up at center forward. Uh, Paulinho, as we know, had played a very crucial role in, in Amorim's Braga side. Um, and had joined uh, just a year ago from Braga, 29 years of age, and uh, had racked up 38 goals in 100 appearances for Braga. And um, last but certainly not least, Pedro Gonçalves. Pedro Gonçalves, born in Vidago, Portugal, uh, started his his time off in their academy, then went to Chaves before making his way to Braga, where he would play from 2010 to 2015, then some quick stopovers in Valencia, Wolves, Famalicao, before joining Sporting and playing a crucial role uh, in their title under Ruben Amorim um, alongside the likes of Paulinha. So Pedro Gonçalves, you know, definitely what obviously uh, one of the best players in the entire Portuguese championship, uh, putting Sporting up within... 24 minutes Braga however getting an equalizer in the 52nd minute from the penalty spot from Wenderson Galeno we saw um, an error from Mateus Rice due to concede the penalty Rice otherwise having a very good season uh, but you know a clumsy error Uh, Braga I think really were able to turn things around after the halftime substitution of Abel Ruiz for Vitor Oliveira. You know, the center forward position has been definitely a controversial position for Carlos Carvalho's side. But uh, between Abel Ruiz, between Vitinha, between Mario Gonzalez, they do have some intriguing options. And I think that Abel Ruiz, for me, you know, his, his entrance... Uh, was was very crucial. This is a player. Remember, we we talk. We're talking about a player who's scored for Barcelona, who's who's played for for the Spanish national team. And for me, I think that he played a really important role in changing the game. Uh, you know, helping to kind of link up with with his teammates 
and and playing more loose and allowing the likes of uh, Ricardo Horta and Galeno to to have a lot more freedom. So I think that he was he was very important in their turnaround. Later on, 64th minute, uh, Bruno Tabata coming on for Zuhair Fedal, obviously more of an attacking substitution uh, to push Mateus Rice back into defense and allow Sporting some more uh, in the way of attackers. Braga making another sub with Rodrigo Gomes coming on for Galeno. Jovan Cabral making his return and, and uh, replacing Pablo Sarabia within 75 minutes, as well as Manuel Ugarte coming on for Joao Paulinha. Uh, later on, though, in, in the coming minutes, we'd see Andre Orta coming on for Andre Castro and one Jean-Baptiste Gorbi coming on for Ricardo Orta. So, you know, a very intriguing sub in the 89th minute for Carlos Carvalhal to make, taking off uh, Ricardo Orta, who I think is, is without a doubt Braga's best player. Uh, the, you know, the captain, the attacking talisman of the team and uh, replacing him with Jean-Baptiste Gorbi, a player who would, I believe had only made three appearances, uh, 19 years of age, born in France and more of a defensive midfielder. So, so it did seem like he was there to short possession to help them, you know, secure a draw, but not so fast because in the 97th minute, Jean-Baptiste Gorbi assisted from, with the assist from uh, Ricardo Horta's brother, Andre Horta and fellow substitute, uh, he goes and he scores a decisive winner in Lisbon to give Braga the three points. Uh, let's talk about this crazy match. What did you make of this game? Yeah, I definitely think it was a, a game with two halves. I think uh, Sporting were much better in the first half. And after Braga came back after the half and were, were more dominant in the second. Uh, I feel like Sporting uh, really struggled to, uh, to create chances against Braga. Braga did, did a very good job of uh, shutting them down. I also feel like uh, this game really showed how much Sporting uh, need a, a goal-scoring striker. Paulinho is, is very good. He's not a bad striker at all. But I think he, at times, he struggles to score goals when you need him most. And uh, I think Sporting really, really saw that this weekend. Uh, Braga did a good job in the second half readjusting. And uh, I, really, I really like watching them, uh, them play against bigger teams. They always put up a bigger fight against bigger teams, I feel. And they want to make their uh, their point kind of thing. I think Galenu and Al Mustafi were probably the, the best players for Braga. And I think uh, that Sporting, their defense in the second half really collapsed. I haven't seen Inasiu play that bad ever, I think. I think that was his worst game I've ever seen him play. And uh, that, that, at the end of the day, caused Sporting the match. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Inasiu, a player who, who I like a lot, and who I think could definitely be an international for Portugal soon, really picked a bad time to have his worst match in, in quite some time. And, you know, very insecure with possession. I remember like in the 20, 30th minute, he put Adan under pressure with a terrible back pass. I think it's called a hospital pass. And, um, uh, you know, Adan, cool as ever, just sort of, uh, did a pirouette to, to get out of the pressure. But overall, it was a very poor performance from Inacio. Did give me reservations on whether this guy is ready for a big move. And, you know, you mentioned Wenderson Galeno, a player who, you know, obviously has played in multiple roles for this Braga side, been used as a, as a winger, been used as a wingback, um, spent some time at Porto, you know, joined in, I think, 2016, a Brazilian player who, who spent quite a lot of time before making his way to Baraga. What do you make of, what do you make of Galeno? Did, do you feel like he deserved more opportunities at Porto? And, and what do you think his ceiling is? Yeah, I definitely did think Porto deserved more of a chance. At, I mean, Galeno deserved more of a chance at Porto. Uh, I think he's a great player. I don't really think he ever got a fair a fair shot to stay in the squad, and I was pretty pretty mad when he left because I think he was a great player. Uh, I think currently he doesn't start on Porto, obviously with the amount of talent we have. I definitely think at the time that he left, he could have could have put up a shot to, to maybe start on the on the squad. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, some other impressive performances. I think Fabiano Silva, you know, a player who is not who started off as the starter in that right wing back position that was vacated by Ricardo Escaio. I think that he 
you know, he has not played that much due to um, Jan Kuto, obviously. Jan Kuto starting at the right wing back position in a long day. Uh, but he, I thought he did very well in that right wing back position. On the other hand, Escayo, I think, was, was really disappointing, I got to say. I mean, it, maybe not disappointing because he hasn't really excelled, shall we say, uh, for sporting since joining in the summer. You know, it did seem like going into the summer that they wanted to bring in a, a right wing back, right? And um, I think that Carlos Mane on Rio Ave was actually linked. He ended up going to Kayseri Sport in Turkey. Escayo ended up going to uh, Sporting. And he's really, for me, he, he just has not offered enough uh, to be a decent deputy for Porto, you know, you expect a guy who has this much experience in Portugal's top flight to be able to offer more going forward. And, and yeah, for me, he just has not, has not done enough uh, to, to get the opportunities that he's gotten under Ruben Amorim uh, obviously has some experience playing under him, but for me, he's been a weak link of the sporting side, obviously not the only one, I'm curious, do you think that Gonzalo Estevez deserves to be starting over him? Estevez, obviously just, I think, 17 years of age coming in from Porto's Academy, but, you know, has shown some good uh, highlights so far at Sporting. Do you think that Estevez would be a better option than Escayo? Uh, yeah, it's, it's funny you say that because uh, all my friends that are Sporting Ishers really say that uh, they prefer Estevez over, over Escayo. They think his guy who hasn't been doing very well this season, but Estevez with the minute he's got has really impressed. And uh, I think well, once Porto comes back, he'll definitely be the starter. He's by far, I think, the best right back in the league. Uh, but in the meantime, I definitely think Estevez deserves a, a couple games to prove himself. Absolutely. Uh, sporting, though have in, in the month of January, in the first three months of 2022, they have already lost more games in the league than they did in the entirety of 2021. And let's, let's remember that 2021 loss uh, was really a dead rubber match after they had sealed the league against Benfica. Um, sporting losing on January 7th to Santa Clara, a team that have you know, pretty much fought relegation uh, this entire season, uh, getting back to winning ways in the Tassa de Portugal against lower tier side Lesa, as well as recently promoted Vizela, but losing once again to Braga. Um, what do you think are the biggest reasons for, for Sporting's, I don't know, mid-season collapse, shall we put it? I mean, they've, they've had a strong uh, start to the a strong first half, but it seems like they, they could be, the, the title race could be slipping away from their grasp. Uh, now six points behind league leaders Porto. Uh, so very concerning. And even, even when Pedro Porto comes back, which I'm not sure when it will be because he has been uh, injured quite a lot. You know, they, this team has a lot more issues that I think needs to be solved. So they, they do have some in, in, intriguing games coming up playing Santa Clara in the Tasta de Liga, chance for revenge against the Asorianos, uh, going up against uh, another team fighting relegation in Belenenche Sad, and then uh, playing Fumalicao, who have been, uh, who, who despite you know their poor form, are always a threat against Sporting before a interesting little week that will see them take on Porto at the Estadio Dragao and Manchester City at the Estadio Jose Avalad. Um, you know, how, what, what do you diagnose Sporting's lack of form to? Uh, I think Sporting's biggest problem is uh, their depth, to be honest. I think they have an amazing starting 11. But I think when they're behind in a match, they have no real, like, crazy attackers or anything to, uh, to sub on to change the result. And I think that's, that's where they lack. I also think the game against Braga was just more unlucky than anything else. I think the back line picked the worst moment uh, to fall apart. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the depth is definitely what's catching up to them. They have Sarabia is great, Pot's great, even Paulinho, he's not bad, but I think uh, 
off the bench, they really have nobody to come on and, and change the game for them. Yeah, you, you mentioned that. I mean, you mentioned that previously. Uh, Porto, you know, looking at their depth in the center forward position, they've got Medi Taremi. Uh, they've got Evan Nielsen. They've got Tony Martinez. They've got Danny Loader. That's some impressive depth in the center forward position. Benfica. They've got Darwin Nunes. They've got Harris Seferovic. They've got Roman Yaremchuk, Gonzalo Ramos, Rodrigo Pino. Sporting, on the other hand, they've got a Paulinho who has been, you know, has had his fair share of good games at Sporting, but has had his fair share of stinkers. Uh, really an inconsistent, hot and cold spell for him at Sporting. And I don't think that Thiago Tomas is good enough uh, to, to provide a reliable backup option. Obviously he's still young, but, uh, for me, they need somebody who can be a game changer. Who, who, who is that game changer right now? You know, Bruno Tabata, Thiago Tomas. Um, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, they don't, like you said, they don't have that much in the way of game changers from the bench. Some intriguing, uh, players who they can bring on, such as Gonzalo Estevez, such as Daniel Braganza, who I should mention, neither of whom played against Braga, both of whom I think could have been very important. Um, so, so we'll see what happens. Any last words for this Braga team, though? Obviously a fantastic result going to Lisbon uh, and getting a victory. Yeah, I think, I think Braga are a good team. I think they should definitely be closer to Benfica than uh, they currently are. They lost a couple of games they shouldn't have, and uh, I think that's what's costing them this season. But I think Braga's biggest weakness is definitely their weak, their defense. Their defense has been uh, very shaky this season, and I think that's what's costing them games. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we'll, we'll be interesting to see how Porto Loni Diogo Leite, uh, can, if he can improve um, and, and help them shore up that defense. Obviously, starting on the left side of that back three for Braga right now. We're going to move on to the Porto side of the episode. Obviously, Adriano is a Porto fan. So I do want to discuss a lot in the way of Porto today, but taking a brief little detour, I want to, I want to start by discussing a manager, Vitor Pereira. Vitor Pereira, um, 53 years old, uh, started his career... Uh, as a manager at Padroense, but but eventually uh, managed Porto's junior side on on two different occasions. Um, worked as an assistant to Andre Villas Boas in 2010-2011 before taking the reins uh, from 2011 to 2013, you know, replacing replacing Villas Boas and and taking his his um, fourth managerial job as, as, as a coach after spells at lower tier San Joanense, Espino and Santa Clara. So uh, Vitor Pereira taking charge in 2011 and uh, ended up lasting two years and uh, worked with the likes of James Rodriguez, uh, Radamel Falcao, Hulk, some very talented players uh, I'm curious to get your opinion on Vitor Pereira because he's had quite a few jobs since that since that Porto uh, spell. He's worked at Al Ali, Olympiakos, Fenerbahce, 1860 Munich, uh, Shanghai uh, SIPG, uh, Fenerbahce, and now uh, it seems like he will be dipping his toes into the Premier League. He will be uh, replacing Rafa Benitez as the Everton manager. Uh, what can Everton fans expect from Vitor Pereira? Yeah, he's definitely had a pretty uh, weird career since he's left Porto. He's been kind of all over the place. But I, I definitely don't think he's a bad coach. I think uh, Everton fans could expect a very attacking side. I think uh, when he was at Porto, our attack was was deadly. Uh, and I, I do think he he may be able to turn around that Everton side, but I don't know. We'll see. But I, I don't think they have the quality to to really fight against top teams in the Premier League right now. Right, Everton currently hovering above the relegation zone with 19 points. Um, what do you think are Vitor's biggest flaws as a manager? Was there anything you saw 
uh, I don't know, potentially tactical stubbornness, fighting with, with big players. Uh, we saw that a bit at Fenerbach, I think, getting into a row with Mesut Ozil. Um, I'm curious, what, what do you think are his biggest uh, pitfalls as a coach? Yeah, when he was at Porto, he was great. I don't really have many complaints about that. But I, yeah, I've heard ever since he's left the club, he's, he's had some tussles with some big players and he's, he's been stubborn. And there's even a video of that fan yelling 4-4-2 during <laughs> the game. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think stubbornness and, uh, and he, he, he definitely wants his way and his way of playing. And, and I think uh, that could bite him. But uh, overall, I don't think he's a bad coach. I think it's, it's worth a try for everything now, especially considering the spot they're in. From a tactical level, what can we, what can we expect of, uh, of this Everton team under Pereira? What did, what did you make of Pereira's Porto side from a tactical level? How did they shape up? What, what do you remember the most from that team? Yeah, well, that team was uh, one of the best teams Porto had in a while. So I, I think that definitely played a part. But we were definitely very competitive, very composed. We pressed high. And like I said, the attack, the attack was very, very good. Even the defense, I think everything was very organized, very composed under a, a 4-3-3 formation. I, think, I, I believe that's still his preferred formation. We'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, switching gears once again to another Premier League topic, uh, Jose Sa. Jose Sa, uh, if you haven't yet, definitely check out our article on breakinglines.com written by Luis Thompson uh, about Jose saw 29 years of age, recently turned 29 last week and has, you know, he, he went through various different clubs in Portugal, such as Benfica Marichimo before eventually getting a move to Porto in 2016, where he somewhat struggled for opportunities behind Iker Casillas, eventually ended up going to Olympiacos, spending a few years there before gaining a move to Wolverhampton Wanderers in the summer of 2021. Uh, Obviously a transitional year for Wolves with uh, Rui Patricio, who had played in goal for the past few seasons for them, uh, getting a move to Roma, linking up with Jose Mourinho, Bruno Lodge replacing um, a former Porto manager, Nuno Spirito Santo, and uh, Jose Sa replacing Rui Patricio. Wolves, it's, it's been an interesting season for them, um, and they are currently eighth, despite uh, one of the worst attacks in the league. They have conceded just 16 goals. Only Manchester City at the top of the league have conceded fewer. And one of the biggest reasons for their defensive stability has been Jose Sa. He's been fantastic between the sticks. If you haven't yet, check out uh, Louis Thompson's article on him. 29 years of age, and I, I do think that he's making a case potentially to, to replace, to do what he did at Wolves and replace Rui Patricio as Portugal's number one. And, and that's where I think things get interesting because Portugal, you know, Rui Patricio turning 34 soon. And if Portugal do miss out on, on uh, qualification to the World Cup, I think that we will see, hopefully we will see some transitions. I could see Rui Patricio being phased out for a younger keeper. Um, you have somewhat veteran options that are younger, such as Jose Sa and uh, Anthony Lopes in, of Lyon. You have uh, younger players such as Diogo Costa, Luis Maximiano. But Jose Sa, let's talk a little bit about him. Um, what did you make of his time at Porto? And are you surprised by how well he's doing um, at Wolves? Yeah, his time at Porto, he definitely came at the probably the worst time. It's hard to replace uh, a legend like Iker Casillas, especially how well he was playing at the time. But I definitely think uh, Jose Sa has quality, and he always has. And uh, I'm not I'm not surprised to see him put up good performances for Wolves. He's probably the one of the best, definitely the best uh, goalkeepers in the league this year for them. And uh, and yeah, he's he's been he's been great this season. Do you think that Rui Patricio could potentially be phased out soon, or should be phased out in the starting lineup of the Celso? Yeah, I think Rui Patricio has been amazing for the Celso. I have no uh, complaints about him really, but. This currently this season, I definitely think Jose Sa or even Dio Costa have been uh, have been better than him. So I think I, I think we should definitely give it a try. 
I don't know if we should try it in qualification. It's a bit risky, but I definitely think Giuseppe or even Dio Costa deserve a, a shot over Rui Patricio. Absolutely. We'll see what happens uh, with regards to the starting position in goal uh, for the Celestial. But moving on, moving on, I, I want to talk about uh, our our guests' favorite team. Um, and and they are doing quite, quite well, it must be said. Seven weeks ago, Porto lost a heartbreaker of a match to Atletico de Madrid. They had plenty of opportunities. They could have very well uh, drawn or won to seal a place in the Champions League knockout round. They didn't. Now they're going to be playing in the Europa League come February. Since then, since that loss to Atletico, they have beaten Braga, beaten Huav, beaten Vizela, beaten Benfica, beaten Benfica again in the league, beaten Estoril, beaten Vizela again, beaten Belenenstad, and beaten Famalicao. Uh, what have you made of Porto's incredible run of form under Sergio Conceição? Do you feel that the Champions League elimination uh, has almost lit a fire in them? Yeah, Porto has been great this season. I think this is some of the best football I've seen them play in a, in a couple of years, to be honest. Uh, last time I was on here, I was criticizing Concesong about now playing the youth. And I think uh, this year he has, and it really revitalized the squad. I think Vitinha has probably been our best midfielder. I think uh, Fabio Vieira, when he's gotten his minutes, has been great. Concesong off the bench has been great as well. I think betting on the on the youth really paid off this season. And I think uh, that that's a bit of a part of the success for Porto this season. Um, and yeah, I, I definitely think the loss against uh, Madrid uh, kind of like lit a fire in Porto. And we're, we're more motivated than ever. And I wouldn't be surprised if we made a run in the Europa League this year as well. Yeah, Vitinha, as you mentioned, uh, just a few months ago, seemed like he was on the verge of joining Wolves for 20 million euros. Now playing a crucial role in midfield for Porto. How important How important is Vitinha to uh, Porto's style of play under Sergio Conceição? Yeah, I think Vitinha is very crucial in our midfield. I don't think we've had a midfielder like him in a while. Sergio Oliveira was great, but he, I don't think he provided the creativity and the maestro-like abilities that Vitinha has. I think Vitinha comes back to receive the ball and is very crucial to, to making a breakout pass or to start a counter. I think uh, he's definitely been, even defensively, he's been very solid. I think he's turned into a monster this year. And as well as even Uribe has been great for Porto this season. Probably the best uh, defensive midfielder in the league, in my opinion, this year. Not to say Paulinho or... Amustrati or Weigel are bad. I just think Uribe has been in a whole another level this year as well. Yeah, absolutely. And Vitinha, uh, you know, playing a f- huge role in Portugal's run to the U21 Euros final last spring uh, alongside Fabio Vieira, who, uh, after signing a contract extension at Porto, has not gotten much in the way of minutes starting against Benfica on December 30th and bagging a goal in a 3-1 victory. He played, I think, 14 minutes against Estoril the following week and also played uh, a little bit against Vizela, getting a penalty goal in that 3-1 win in La Tassa de Portugal, um, getting a hat-trick of assists against Belenenc side and then getting another assist in this 3-1 victory against Famalicao. Talk to me a little bit about Fabio Vieira. What what makes him so good as a player? Yeah, I think Fabio Vieira, him and Vitinha are a different breed. I definitely think they're Porto's two best young players by far. Um, I think Fabio Vieira, his vision is insane. The way he picks out a pass from anywhere. You don't, Sometimes you don't even see the pass and he, he makes it. He's, he's very great. I really like watching him play. And... Uh, yeah, I definitely think off the bench, even starting, he, he offers a lot to the team. He, when we're down by a goal or whatever, he he definitely offers a lot to the attack. Definitely. will be very interesting to see how he progresses. Um, and I think there is, I think there is a spot. We've talked about this a lot, but I think there's, there's a way for him and Vitinho to coexist in midfield. 
with regards to, to you know, Porto have had two major departures this this uh, window. Uh, Jesus Corona, Tecatito, leaving and joining Sevilla. Sergio Oliveira is, is has has joined Roma on loan. Both players making a decent start to their careers elsewhere. Um, but how how confident are you of of Porto's uh, ability to replace both players? Yeah, I think uh, Sergio Oliveira definitely deserves to be a starter at a club. He he's definitely a great midfielder. Well, he didn't. He doesn't have that chance at Porto this year. And I think Corona has he hasn't been very good for us this season, to be honest. I'm not worried about him leaving this year. He he's been brutal in every pretty much every start he's played. He's a, almost a shadow of his old self. One of our best players. Um, but yeah, there's word that Porto are signing Ishtaku, which would be a great replacement for uh, for Sergio Oliveira. And I I don't really think Porto currently need to replace. Corona, I think we have the quality in our squad to uh, to not go out and buy somebody at this time. You know, we talked about this before. I think that Porto have plenty of quality in their squad. They don't need to sign a replacement for Tecatito Corona. When you look at three players, Fabio Vieira um, and Francisco Conceição, those three, you know, have not played that much, but I think are starting to get a lot more minutes now that Tecatito's gone. I definitely think that uh, they're they're going to benefit a lot from Corona's departure. Uh, with regards to Sergio Oliveira's departure, you know, last season was crucial in midfield. This season has been relegated to the bench due to Bettina's fantastic performances. With Oliveira gone, Porto's Porto's options in midfield are Mateus Oribe, Vitinha, Fabio Vieira, obviously more of an attacking midfielder, but uh, Otavio, another more of an attacking player. Uh, Bruno Costa, who's joined uh, and has been playing actually out of position at right back due to necessity in recent games. Marco Grujic, who who joined in the summer uh, from Liverpool. But it seems that Porto are going to sign another midfielder and join and sign Steven Ustakio. Uh, on loan from Pasta Sufaida, an option to buy of 3.5 million euros. Uh, Ustakio tested positive for COVID-19 um, and is not going to be traveling for Canada's international break. It's an interesting move getting Ustakio, a player who's been linked to Porto, blame linked to all the big three clubs for quite a while. And um, going with with an option, not an obligation, an option to buy for just 3.5 million euros. Uh, you, Adriano, as a Porto fan, as a as a Portuguese Canadian, I, I I can only imagine how you're feeling. Uh, talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on this move. Yeah, I think it's a great move for Porto, especially for 3.5 million. It's very hard to find a, a midfielder of his quality for that price. Um, I love watching him play for Canada. He's by far their best midfielder. And I definitely think he has the quality to maybe break into the Porto team. Maybe not this year, but next year. I definitely think he, he's probably one of the best midfielders out of the top three teams. And uh, I'm really happy about the mood, especially having a Canadian on my favorite team. It's it's great to see. Definitely. And, and just a little bit, you know, I'm curious, do you think Porto need this move? Uh, does, does it seem like... It, it's it's a bit of a um, you know you, you know with regards to having paid that much money for Grujic and then signing Ustakio, is that a bit concerning for you from Grujic's perspective? Uh, I think Grujic, I think Ustakio could play more of a, a box to box role, whereas Grujic is more of a strictly a defensive midfielder. I definitely think uh, Grujic shouldn't be hurt too much by this move. Um, but uh, again, who knows? We'll see, right? But I think uh, I think Ishtaki could definitely play more of a box-to-box role, whereas Gruich is strictly more for a defensive role. I think Ishtaki has the creativity and the the vision to play as a as a more offensive midfielder as well. Porto six points clear atop uh, the league and are going to add. It seems going to add Steven Ishtaki. Uh, really excited to see how this works out. What else do you think Porto need in the transfer? No, is, is there anything else that you would you would be looking for um, in that that realistically you think Porto could do in in January? Uh, yeah, I think Porto's depth overall is great everywhere. 
except for our back line. I think our back line has been very shaky recently without Pepe. I definitely think we should go and get a center back this window. We're going to keep uh, keep fighting for the title and keep uh, trying to make a, a big run in the TASA as well as the Europa League. I don't think Fabio Cardozo cuts it. He's, he's been great at times, but at other times he's also been a disaster. Uh, so I'd, I'd like Porto to sign a center back in this transfer window to strengthen our, mid- our uh, defense a bit. Fabio Cardoso, you know, we mentioned him before. A uh, player who did not play that much in the start of the season after joining from Santa Clara, but uh, due to Pepe's injury concerns, we've seen him play a lot there uh, next to Chancel Mbemba. Mbemba, his contract said to expire uh, in the summer. Port, uh, Pepe, I believe, the same. What have you made of Cardoso's characteristics as a center back? And, uh, you know, do you, th- do you feel that he is... Uh, he has shown enough to be as trusted as a starter. Uh, yeah, I think Cordozo is definitely very good in the air. When it comes to defensive awareness, he's a bit lost sometimes. And uh, I don't think he currently has the ability to be a starter at Porto. I think Porto should definitely go out and sign a quality center back, a proven center back, especially with Mbemba leaving in the summer. Definitely. Porto taking on a Fnalikau side that had just four subs, two of whom had not played yet. So, you know, not that impressive of a win, but you can only beat who you're up against. And uh, it, it has to be said that that's that they are that they are rolling in form. One one negative uh, moment, though, for Porto, perhaps the only thing that went wrong for them. Uh, in this game against Malikau was Mateus Uribe getting sent off in the 85th minute uh, and will now miss Porto's next match against Maritimo. Talk to me a little bit about how important the Colombian has been in midfield for Porto. Who do you expect to start in his place? And, uh, you know, just how crucial has he been for Sergio Conte's outside? Yeah, I think after uh, Luis Diaz... And uh, possibly Vitinha, I think he's been Porto's best player this season. He's been an absolute monster in the midfield, winning everything back. Uh, I definitely think he's he's a very vital player this year for Conceição. And I wouldn't even start him in the match against uh, Aruca before Sporting. Nah, I wouldn't even take the risk. I think he was he was definitely trying to get a yellow card against Pomelico, but it backfired and he got a red, which is unlucky. And I could see uh, Gruic starting the next game for sure. Big opportunity for Marco Grujic, who has not played much since joining from uh, Liverpool in the summer. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on what have you, what you're, what have you made of Grujic in his second season at the club? Played the first season on loan, now in his second season as a permanent player uh, this time around. What, what have you made of Grujic so far? Yeah, I really like Grujic. I think he was a great signing, but uh, it's hard for him to find minutes this year with the way uh, Uribe has been performing. I think uh, he definitely has a quality to crack Porto's 11. Even the game against Milan, he, he was probably Porto's best midfielder. Um, but yeah, he's just been unlucky this year. That's, uh, Uribe has just been so good. Definitely. Uh, we're going to move on to the talent of the week section now. And I am going to go with a player that we have discussed a little bit previously on the show. Uh, Jean-Baptiste Gorby. Jean-Baptiste Gorby. Uh, 19 years of age, born in France, and came through Nantes Academy before joining Braga in 2019. Uh, spent some time in Braga's academy for their youth sides, before eventually coming through into the first team and uh, make, making that step up, making his professional debut on December 5th. Uh, in a brief cameo against Estoril, playing the next match, um, a loss to Porto, and then uh, getting an impressive start, a rare start, his first ever start in in Liga Noche, playing the full 90 minutes in a 1-0 defeat to Maritimo. The following week, Jean-Baptiste Corby comes off the bench, replacing Ricardo Horta, who, as we know, is Braga's attacking talisman, uh, plays just seven minutes, I think, and scores an absolutely decisive goal for Braga uh, to to give them a massive victory at the Estadio Jose Alvalade. Um, 
and you know it's 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 really phenomenal uh result as as we mentioned for 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 braga and gorby though talk to me a little bit about this player because uh, absolutely massive in one of the one of the biggest surprises for this season uh, you of course must be buzzing as a porto fan see this sporting now six points behind porto uh, porto nine points ahead of benfica and uh, 18 points ahead of braga i'm curious what, what have you made of gorby so far uh, to be honest i haven't watched him play much but i've heard only good things about him i've heard he's pretty solid defensively and uh, I'm I'm really grateful of his uh, his goal versus uh, squad thing to put a six points up. It was a beautiful shot, and I think he played he played great since coming on for Braga. I think he was a uh, he was crucial to to holding the the result. Yeah, 19 years of age. This is a player who uh, was released by Nantes uh, in in 2019, then made his way to Braga, making his way to a new country. Actually, ended up impressing. Ruben Amorim when he was uh, the manager of of Braga and it it seems like if if Amorim uh, would have stayed at Braga perhaps Gorby would have made his professional debut a little earlier um, but now playing under Carlos Carvalhal and uh, scoring a goal that I think was was very similar to to Aider's goal almost in the in the Euros final. <laughs> It'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. But without any further ado, thank you so much, Adriano, for coming on. It was a real pleasure to have you on the Cortellinius podcast. Um, anything else you want to add? Uh, no, I think that's everything. I hope uh, Porto stay on top. The stuff is still not over. Still a lot to go. But, uh, but yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And it's been fun. As always, a pleasure, Adriano. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, Make sure to follow Adriano at FC Porto Central on Twitter. Uh, Make sure to subscribe and we've got another great guest coming up for y'all next week.